Good evening, good evening, good evening, my friends, and welcome to a brand new episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcast, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I'm going to need you all to mark September 6th on your calendar, for that is my one-year anniversary of this production. Who would have thunk it? As I've stated before, I literally started this podcast almost as a joke. Sitting in the corner of my living room, recording the entire episode on my phone while my cat stared at me like I was insane. But one year later, 20,000 downloads, a YouTube page, it's been a great ride. And there's still more to come. So a big thanks to all of you for your support. So, next week, two episodes. One being on the 6th, and the next, that following Friday. In fact, this entire month, it's going to be full of surprises. So expect more bonus episodes. Some may just be on the podcast Some may just be on the YouTube channel. More original narrations along with the radio shows. And I am praying I can finally present the original radio script I spoke about last season towards the end of the month. So, without further ado, this is Terra Radio. The two radio series spotlighted tonight are Escape and Suspense. A quick rundown on Escape. It was an anthology series that ran on CBS and was a summer replacement for Suspense. It debuted on July 7th, 1947 and concluded on September 25th 1954 it was produced and directed by Norman McDonald and William N. Robeson it was was narrated by actors Paul Fries and when he left he was replaced by popular radio, screen and television actor William Conrad the radio play tonight is entitled Red Wine, and this is an adaptation from a 1930 short story written by author Lawrence Blockman. Now, there were two presentations of this ad- of the show. The first was February 26, 1949, starring Jeff Chandler. The second was on August 11, 1949, starring actor Willard Waterman, who is best known for replacing actor Harold Perry as a popular radio uh, radio character, the Great Gildersleeve. Tonight we will be listening to the February 26th presentation with Jeff Chandler. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Red Wine. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out by the dull routine? You want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You're alone in the jungle with three men. You know that one of them is a desperate criminal whom you've come to arrest, but you don't know which one. You have to find him before he can save himself by killing you.
escape from reality into the depths of a tropical jungle in a tantalizing search for a murder, as L.G. Blockman told it in his famous story, Red Wine. The rusty little tramp freighter bumped against the rickety wharf, and I dropped from the rail onto the planking. For the first time, felt the humid heat roll out of the jungle. This was Tamjong Samar, sweltering, half-forgotten, last outpost on the rubber coast of Borneo. I crossed the beach and walked up the path of crushed shells leading to a low bungalow at the edge of the jungle. The freighter would lie at the wharf for four hours... Plenty of time for me to get the thing over with and be back aboard when she sailed. I was expecting trouble, of course, but no real danger. I'd done jobs like this before, or at least I thought this would be the same. I thought so until I stepped up on the porch and met Herr Kurt, controller of the Tanjong Sama district. Yeah, I'm Herr Kurt, the controller. What is it I can do for you? Well, my name's Paul Vernier, Mr. Kurt. I have a letter of introduction here from the Governor General. Uh, there you are. Uh, Mr. Paul Vernier from the United States. Yeah. The Governor promised me your cooperation. So I see. Cooperation is good, but it does not say cooperation in what? I've come here after a killer, Mr. Kurt. Oh? Dyaks, maybe? Headhunters? No, this one's a civilized killer. An American wanted in San Francisco for murdering his wife... His name is Jerome Speaks. I see. Won't you sit down, Mr. Fenio? Won't him, you call. He died in Jeffrey. Sure, Tom. I'll bring right away. We'll have coffee in a moment. Oh, nice of you, but uh, maybe I'd better pick this guy up first. I'd hate to miss the boat and have to lay over five days. You're acquainted with this Steaks, Mr. Fenio? Oh, no, I've never seen him. And you have photographs? Wait, not. No fingerprints. Now, this happened two years ago. Until last month, we had it listed as a double suicide. What are you driving at, Mr. Kurt? Simply this. There's no one in my district by the name of Steaks. <laughs> no, he wouldn't be using his own name, of course. There is an American here, though. <laughs> Three of them, Mr. Veneer. Employed as foreman on the Kota rubber plantation here at Tanjong Samar. Uh, according to my information, Steaks came here from Batavia about six months ago. <laughs> they all arrived six months ago on the same boat. The coal dock company is just going back into operation, you understand? I see. Well, according to people who have seen him, Jerome Steaks is a man about 35 years old, of medium height, slight build, pale complexion, with black hair and mustache. Amazing. Any one of these men might fit that description, except that all are clean-shaven and heavily tanned from the tropical sun. Furthermore, Mr. Fenier, all three of the men have light blonde hair. Side, Julie, she just paid one. Good. Four, two cups. I won't bring your baggage up from the wharf, Mr. Fenio. It appears your business may take a little longer than four hours. I'm certain of the information I got in Batavia. I know the man's here. Then the problem resolved itself into a matter of identification. Well, an hour's talk with the three of them ought to do that. Mm. I doubt that, Mr. Fenio. The swarms here at Tanjong Samar are infested with fever. It is always hot, like now. And the jungles back there swarm with krites. Krites? A deadly little snake, no longer in your forearm. There you are. And in the rivers, there are crocodiles. So? Men rarely come here unless they are running away from something, trying to lose their past. I think you'll find all three men have manufactured stories. So, I was one to choose. Well, sometimes a man can be identified by his personality. Oh, and the personality of this man speaks is, uh, it's something out of the ordinary. Or a foreman on a rubber plantation, yes. I, I doubt if all three of these men can be aristocrats. And in a sense, well, that's what Steaks is, a cosmopolitan. He's lived all around the world, always associating with top society. He's a lover of fine foods and wines, speaks French and German fluently. What's wrong? Well, he's a gourmet, a bon vivant, a man of perfect taste in clothes and manners. And a murderer. Yeah, and a murderer. Yeah, well, 
Ranger Seaman returns this evening, I should be most happy to introduce you to them. Though it's quite probable they are aware of your identity already. My mm-hmm. houseboy there told me you were a detective before you stepped off the wharf. Oh, I see. So, in other words, the murderer probably knows who I am and what I'm here for, but I haven't the slightest idea who he is. <laughs> exactly. It's quite an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, more coffee, Mr. Fenio? I should like you to meet uh, Mr. Duran. Hi, Mr. Vignan. This is Mr. Wilmerting. My name is Prayer. Glad to meet you. Same here, Mr. Prayer. Might as well drop the mister. We don't use him much around here. I'm Prayer. That's Duran. That's Wilmerting. You over there, if it's all the same to you. Sure, Prayer. Why not? I hear you, gentlemen. Will excuse me. I have a number of things to do. Uh, Will you bring Mr. Vignan to my bungalow for dinner? Uh, We'll celebrate having a guest in Tanjong Samar. Yeah? Sure. Uh, Herr Kurt tells me all three of you are Americans. I don't know whether I'm still one or not. I've been to the States in seven years. Oh, seven years, huh? And you're an old-timer here, Duran. No, not here. Australia. Uh, don't get him started, Vanier. He'll spend two hours telling you how he lost his shirt trying to raise sheep down there. <laughs> if I had either money or sense, I wouldn't have come to this stinking hole. Oh, I wouldn't say you fellas had it too rough. I, uh, been noticing those empty bottles there on the shelf... What do you mean, Vernier? Hmm. Paul Masson, 1936. That's good champagne. Hmm? You boys are living like connoisseurs. Oh, no, no, you're overrating us, Vernier. Those uh, empty bottles were already here when we came. Oh? Just never got around to throwing them out. Prairie is the only connoisseur in the bunch. He can tell you anything you want to know about wines. Yeah. Or about anything. Uh, dry up just because a guy happens to know a little more than somebody else. There's no reason to keep riding them all the time. I wish you knew some way to make ice. Getting plenty fed up with warm beer day in and day out. Yeah, that would get pretty tiresome. I think I'd switch to Chambertin or Chablis or something. Hmm? Uh, come again? Well, I didn't necessarily mean those in particular, but there are quite a number of wines that are even better warm than they are chilled. Now you're in the wrong place, Chum. We wouldn't know what to do with them if we had them. This is strictly a beer and gin crowd. Well, it'd be no kick on that if we had some ice to go with it. Boy, what I wouldn't give for a cold, frosty bottle. Oh, relax, will you, Wilma Ding? You're making me thirsty. Uh, how about some music? Music? Does one of you play some instruments? Sure. Prail. He's terrific on that phonograph over there in the corner. Oh. <laughs> Only trouble is, he thinks three o'clock in the morning is the greatest song ever written. Well, I can see that that would lead to quite an argument, Doran. Particularly if you're a lover of the classics. I know. I don't go for that long hair stuff. Oh. But I would like to hear a fast number once in a while. It's less than ten years old. Yeah. You ought to see this collection, Prale, dragged up here from Batavia. Strictly from the gay 90s. Uh, Prale, you don't by any chance have a number called Ilium Meroutier dans cette maison. Yeah, some Italian opera. Oh, no, no, it's French. Well, come on, Braille, translate it for us. You claim to be an expert on the French language. Oh, it's worded kind of funny, like poetry. Ah, sure, sure. Yeah, that last word, though, uh, maison, that means house, I know that. (laughs) Well, it's too bad. I thought maybe Jerome Steaks might translate it. It refers to him, of course. What are you talking about? The sentence reads, there is a murderer in this house. Huh? Well... So you're finally coming out in the open, huh? Yeah. We heard you were a detective, Renee. You're after some killer you've never seen named Steaks. You figure one of us is it. That's right, Prale. And the guy you're after is Wilmerding. Are you crazy? Who ever heard of anybody with a name like Wilmerding unless they made it up? Made up nothing. I got a passport to prove it. What are you trying to do, Prale? Turn attention away from yourself? I got nothing to hide. It's either you or Duran. You Ah. can leave me out of this right now. There's plenty of people in Australia who can tell you who I am. Unfortunately, though, there's nobody in Tanjong Samar who can tell me for certain who any of you are. One of you is a murderer, and by the time the boat gets back here, I'll know which one. Either I'm going to take Jerome Steaks back to San Francisco, or I'm going to kill him trying to. You can count on it. Well, what do you say we go on over to Kurt's bungalow and have dinner, hmm?
Let's will the things room there. Laurent sleeps here. And Prelon down at the end. And uh, this is the guest room. At least the only guest room that's usable at present. Looks all right. Well, it's yours for the time you're here, Mr. Vanier. Oh, do all of these rooms open out under the porch? Yes, the veranda, as we call it here. And there's no way to lock this door? Unfortunately, no. Anyway, the windows are covered only by mosquito netting. <laughs> it makes another interesting situation, does it not? Yeah, I suppose interesting is the word for it. Most likely all these gentlemen are acting to a greater or lesser extent, which, of course, makes your problem exceedingly difficult. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Mr. Kurt, you uh, did say a man rarely came here unless he wanted to lose his past. Yet, you're here. Yeah. Yes, that is true. But then, I'm only a servant of the government and have little choice for him, No? Well, good night, Mr. Benio. Uh, good night, Mr. Kurt. I trust you have a very comfortable night. Thank you. I sat there for a long time after Kurt left, trying to figure things out, getting nowhere. This was Borneo, though the Coleman lantern on the table at my elbow threw a blaze of white light into every corner of the room. Outside that light lay the dark veranda, and beyond that, the jungle. Gradually, the night breeze brought the smell of the jungle into the room. As rich and as exotic as the scent of taboo. Fragrant as midnight orchid. As disturbing as the scent of danger. Or maybe, maybe it was danger itself I was smelling. The heavy knife missed my throat by two inches. Thudded into the bamboo partition and stuck there, quivering. I doused the lamp in one sweep, dropped down on the floor and slid my thirty-eight out of its holster. I could hear nothing but the rustle of palm thatch along the eaves, low creaks from the pilings underneath the bungalow, the soft night sounds from the jungle. Finally, I slipped my shoes off, pulled the knife out of the wall, and dropped it in my pocket, moved to the door, and stepped quietly out onto the veranda. It was empty. Across the railing, the fringe of undergrowth was dappled in silver moonlight. Nothing moved. I paused quickly at the three doors, and from each heard the sound of snoring. One of the men was faking, but which one? I'd reached the end of the porch when my eye caught a slight movement in the banana clump a few yards from the steps. Someone was hiding there. I moved swiftly, holding the gun ready. Came within a few feet before I could make out a shape in a red and white sarong, complete with dark, tumbled curls and a flower behind one ear. It was a girl. Please, Twan, the gun... You are going to shoot me? No, no, relax, honey. I was looking for somebody else. Oh. And now you have found Melana, so you are disappointed? Well, I... Look, did you see anybody moving around up there on the veranda a while ago? Only you, Tuan. I became frightened and ran to hide. Frightened? Why? I should not be here. At night, I mean. I... Oh, let us talk of something else, huh? All right, Melana. Tuan, do you like Melana, perhaps? Definitely. Why do we not go somewhere else? Along the beach, perhaps? You would like that? Well, Mr. Mere is too serious-minded for such things, Melana. Oh, well, Mr. Kurt, join us, won't you? Thank you. Melana, go to the bungalow at once. Yes, Minette. Yes, I go. I go immediately. She has no business being out alone at night. But, Mr. Fenier, is something wrong with your room? It's not comfortable? It was until this flew in through the window. A knife? Yeah, a throwing knife. Ever see it before? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the collections there in the bungalow. Because the Americans throw them at targets every evening and wager on the results. I believe uh, Mr. Doran taught the other two. What about you, Mr. Kurt? Do you ever bet with them? It would be too easy. Watch. I learned to throw a knife in Java many years ago. And Nalana, I suppose she's an expert at it, too. Nalana knows nothing of knives. Her greatest accomplishment is that of making friends too easily. I see. Just who is she anyway? Does she live here? Yeah, she lives here. She is my wife. Your, your wife? Exactly. 
my wife. Good night, Mr. Vanier. When I finally turned in that night, I didn't make the mistake of lighting the lantern again. Being a target once in an evening was enough. I undressed in the dark, pushed the bed up to block the door, propped a chair against the windowsill, and lay down on the floor. I kept trying to fit some theory together to account for the things that had happened. When I drifted off to sleep, I was no nearer any answer than before. I woke up with the first light of dawn. For a full minute, was ready to predict a peaceful day. Then I turned my head slightly and saw it. On the floor, against the wall, 18 inches from my left hand, its eyes open and unmoving, lay a krite, first cousin to the cobra, the deadliest snake in Borneo. Cold sweat broke out of my forehead, ran into the corners of my eyes. Not daring to make any sudden move, I slid my right hand slowly up behind me and found my gun under the pillow. The snake moved slightly. I froze for one long minute. Carefully, I brought the gun over until I had the ugly head centered above the foresight. Then... What? What? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Who fired that shot? I did, Kurt, in here. Hey, Kurt, I'm not sure you Find out now, Kurt. Come All right. Oh, sure, Kurt. Come on in. I, I had an early morning visitor there on the floor. God, Christ. Did he bite you? No, no. What the devil's all the racket of... Ah, snake. It's funny. What's funny, Duran? I cried, Wilma Ding. Just killed one here in my room. Well, there's plenty of them around, but I never heard of one crawling into a room before. I'm not sure it did crawl in. What do you mean? I've got an idea it may have been dropped in through the mosquito netting there at the window. Yeah? By whom? By a guy named Jerome Speaks. Ever hear of him, Duran? Why don't you pick up Wilma Ding? He's your man. Oh, sure, sure. I always carry a couple of snakes around in my pocket just for luck. What I want to know is who carries this around in their pocket for luck. That's one of our knives in the living room. We throw him at a target. Yeah, I know. Only last night, I was the target. And Prale's your boy. He's an expert. Wins every time we play. Dry up, Duran. Listen, relax, all of you. All right. So nobody knows anything about these accidents. They just happen. Here's a warning to whichever one of you is, Steaks. The next time, you better cover yourself. I'm through being a clay pigeon. From now on, it's going to be a lot tougher. A whole lot tougher. That day passed. The next, I got exactly nowhere. Things didn't fit, didn't add up. I saw Nelana several times, but had no chance to speak to her. When Herr Kurt was with me, she'd pass without a glance. But if I was alone, she'd manage a quick, provocative smile that sent shivers down my spine. By the fourth day, the tension among us had grown almost unbearable. The steamer was due the next evening on its return trip to Batavia. I needed a break of some kind, had to have one. Well, it came at dusk when I dropped into my room to change for dinner. Tuan, it is I, Nilana. Nilana, what the devil are you doing here? To see you, Tuan. Does that make you unhappy? Um, no, but I doubt if Herr Kurt would think much of the idea. Oh, no, he must not find out. That is why I hide here and wait for you. Oh, but he may walk in here any moment. That is true, Tuan. It is why I cannot stay now. But I wish something to ask you. All right, honey, shoot. It is true that you look for a man who has killed a woman in your United States? Yeah, that's right. A man who now names himself by another name? Yes, no, Anna, do it you know... It is perhaps the same one who one night threw the knife at you? Yeah, I think so. Do you know who it is? I saw the knife thrown to one. I was outside. Oh, be the... quiet. Oh, it is someone. Yeah, it's Herr Kurt. Oh. He's going into the living room. But he will come here when he does not find you. Oh, I am very frightened, Tuan. I must go. Oh, no, wait. I've got to... No, know. no, there's no time now. Tonight, when everyone sleeps, yeah. wait by the tall palm at the edge of the clearing. I will come. All right, I'll be there. Nelana has done foolish things, Tuan. But tonight she will fix it all good. You come. I waited for a long time in the shadow by the palm tree. Watched the moonlight sift down through the shaggy fronds. 
Two hours passed. She didn't come. Waiting there, though, in the jungle night, a plan began to form in my mind. A long shot, true enough, but one with possibilities. It needed luck to work, but I'd come to the point where I had to count on a little luck. At any rate, I decided to start the ball rolling the next morning, after breakfast. Now, wait a minute, Vernier. Let's get this straight. <laughs> I thought I'd put it straight enough, Duran. I said the hunt's off. I'm pulling out on that boat tonight. You can all relax. Yeah, but uh, five days ago, you were so cockeyed sure it was one of us. How come the switch? Five days ago, Wilma Ding, I didn't know you guys. I was certain of the information I'd picked up in Batavia. And I'm not so certain of it now. But change your mind, a sweet disposition? No, exactly the opposite, Frail. Now, I doubt very much if any of you guys is who he claims to be. I wouldn't be surprised if Doran, Wilmerding, and Prale are all phony names, but that's not my business. I came here after Steaks. I've decided now I made a mistake, and that's that. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, aren't you forgetting the fact that somebody tried to knock you off a couple of times? Well, let's just say the reason for that was a side issue. Had nothing to do with Steaks. They come in here, push us around for a week, and then decide it was all a mistake. I'm sorry, Prale. And look, I'm going to try to make up for it this evening. I'm throwing a dinner party at Herr Kurt's bungalow before the boat leaves tonight. You're, you're all invited. Yeah, well, that's pretty decent of you, Renier. I'll get some food and drinks from the captain as soon as he docks. If you're as fed up with rice duffel and warm beer as I am, you'll be ready for a change. Yeah, sure is all right with me. Oh, good, good. And it's all settled. And I can promise you at least... Two surprise dishes. Maybe three, if you care for your pardon, Oh, good. Come on in. I was wondering if any of you have seen Lana this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, what's wrong, Eckert? I'm rather concerned about her, Mr. Vanier. She has not been home since early last night. I had a couple of ideas about that myself. Ideas I wished I didn't have. Anyway, as soon as the rest of the bunch went about their business, I began my own search for Nelana. I didn't know the country, and it was nearly dusk before I found her. Then I said nothing about it to anyone. But sitting at the table that night while the dinner party moved along, I was seeing everything through a haze of red. The same color as the red in the sarong wrapped around the slim figure of the beautiful girl. I kept thinking how she'd never smile anymore, how she'd never walk in the moonlight again. Because somebody had cut her throat. <laughs> I know a story along the same lines. I never heard that one before. Ah, what a dinner. Oh, after six months of rice stuff, I like to go crazy about it. Uh, yeah, when you throw it, Veneer, you really throw it. This is only the beginning. Beginning? Where can you go from here? Well, right now, for instance, roast pheasant. Ooh. All right, Wong, bring it over. Sure, Twan. Right away, I bring. Oh, Black for me to put here for you to carve, Juan? Uh, no, no. I uh, I wonder if you'd mind carving it here, Kurt. Not at all, Mr. Vanier. I should be happy to place it here, Juan. Boy, I haven't had a roast pheasant since Australia. We used to shoot them all the time. Even the smell's enough to drive you crazy. Ah, you said it, Prayer. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. The pheasant is the main dish, so the two surprises go right along with it. Uh, Wong, bring it out. Sir, Juan, I bring right away now. Uh, careful, don't drop it. Oh, yeah, we are. Thanks. Well, there you are. It's Chambertin, vintage 1911. Unquestionably the finest red wine that exists in the world today. Holy smoke, where'd you get it? I found out on the trip in the captain of the steamer had a few bottles. Took a lot of talking to get one out of him, but but I'll open it, Wong. Have you you got the glasses? Here, Twan. Good. Boys, you may go back to warm beer tomorrow, but you got the best tonight. (laughs) Now, Wong, uh, show him a second surprise. One big bucket ice. Ice! Real honest-to-gosh cracked ice. Oh, I haven't seen a chunk of ice for six months. Oh, I thought you'd go for that one. All right, Wong, serve the wine, will you? Yeah, fine. You know, it was pretty amazing to find 1911 Chambertin on a little tramp freighter down here in the South Pacific. The stuff's so rare, it's hard to get at any price anymore. Eh, maybe so, but that ice is what gets me. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, Wong. Dump plenty in mine. Oh, Wong, stop that. What the devil are you... Uh... What's the matter, Wilma Ding? Uh, why, well, I, what I mean is... I... You mean you're well aware of the fact that ice kills the bouquet of Sambotan. Isn't that it? Steaks? Steaks? You mean Wilmerding? Yes, yes. Once a gourmet, always a gourmet. A crook with enough sense to keep his hair dyed black for years so he could become a natural blonde if he ever had to make a getaway. But not enough sense to keep still and let me ruin a bottle of wine. 
Hey, easy with those hands. Don't try reaching for a gun. Let him reach for it, Mr. Fenio. Uh, Kurt, no. Put down that knife. Look over, Nate. Go for his gun. Too late. Kurt. Good Lord, Kurt. You've killed him. I'm sorry you do not have our prisoner to take back with you, Mr. Fenio. But I, too, found her body. I knew you had been there. I saw your footprints. I'm sorry, Kurt. And she was... She She had been seeing Wilmerling. I had guessed it was one of them. And apparently she found out he was Steaks. Yeah, I know. That's what she was going to tell me, only he didn't give her a chance. She was young, Mr. Vanilla. Foolish, perhaps. But I... I loved her very much. Hey, look... He knocked over that bottle of wine. It's pouring out all over the place. Yeah. Brother, what a mess. Yeah, Dorian. It's quite a mess. Only one thing, though. Not all of it is red wine. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented transcribed Red Wine by L.G. Blockman, adapted for radio by Mort Lewis and Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Paul Vernier was Jeff Chandler, with Barry Kroger as Herr Kurt. Featured players were David Ellis, Lou Krugman, Jack Crucian, and Lorette Philbrand. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again CBS offers you Escape! Okay, now on to our next radio series, which is Suspense, or as it was called, Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills. Created by William Spear, this originally debuted as a pilot episode, or as they call it within radio terms, an audition episode on July 22nd, 1940. And it was directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And it was an adaptation of his 1926 film, The Lodger. Two years later, on June 17th, is when the series actually went into production, if you will. So again, it started on June 17th, 1942, and ended on September 30th, 1962. The radio play tonight is entitled The Furnished Floor. And this was written by famed author Lucille Fletcher, who wrote the iconic radio plays Sorry Wrong Number and The Hitchhiker. Now, this was broadcasted on September 13th, 1945, and it starred Don DeFore and Mildred Natwick. Also, this was adapted into a teleplay for the television series Lights Out. And it was called The Upstairs Room, excuse me, The Upstairs Floor. And this was broadcasted on March 10th, 1952. And it starred actor John Forsythe, better known as Blake Carrington, from the popular nighttime soap Dynasty, which ran throughout the 80s if you check my Facebook page I did actually post this uh, the television episode ooh, months ago but I may repost it again so you guys can um, check it out so you know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to the furnished floor The Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California presents Suspense. 
bring you Miss Mildred Natwick and Mr. Don DeFore as stars of The Furnished Floor, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you a remarkable tale of suspense. And with the furnished floor, a new study written for suspense by Lucille Fletcher, the author of Sorry, Wrong Number, and other distinguished radio plays, and with the performances of Don DeFore as Mr. Jennings, and Mildred Natwick as Mrs. Hawkins, Roma Wines hope indeed to keep you in suspense. Sit down, rest yourself a minute, Ms. McIntyre, and take a cup of tea. I got some news for you. You'll never guess it in a hundred years. Do you remember that Mr. Jennings, you know, my nice tenant that moved away last year? A tall, thin fellow, the one with the pretty little wife, Mabel, who died so sudden last October. Oh, sure, you know him. Most devoted husband I ever seen. Always bringing her flowers and billing and cooing. He moved out upstairs about two weeks after she died. So heartbroken he was. Sold every stick of furniture, got rid of the canary and the piano and just skidooed. I expected any day to hear they'd fished him up out of the river, but no. This morning, while I'm cleaning down the stairs, who do you think should ring my bell? Hello, Mrs. Hawkins. Remember me? What? It's Mr. Jennings. You sure give me a turn. I never expected to see you around this neighborhood again. Well, here I am. How's the upstairs floor? <laughs> Just as you left it, Mr. Jennings. I haven't rented it to a soul. Well, I want to rent it again. But you, Mr. Jennings? That's right. I'm setting up housekeeping again. Well, if that don't be... Getting married again, Mr. Jennings? In a way. Let's run up and take a look, shall we? Okay, if you say so. Oh, wait. Won't it make you feel kind of blue to see the old place again? Blue? Why should it? Well, memories, you know. That's just what I want to find. Memories. Everything just as it was. Uh, I hope you've left it just the same, Mrs. Hawkins. No painting or new wallpaper? Uh, not yet. Well, I'll fix it up to please the new tenant. I'll leave it just as it was. Please, for me. Uh, well, here's the keys. Maybe you'd like to go in and look around by yourself. No. Do come in, Mrs. Hawkins. You were always so very kind. More a friend than a landlady. Oh, how beautiful it looks, even bare. The sunshine always was so warm up here. And the trees. Why, I'd almost forgotten how close the trees were. And there's the marks our sofa made against the wall. And the square shapes of our pictures still on the wall. <laughs> well, it could stand a good cleaning, of course. Do you remember how Mabel used to sit here of an evening and sing? Now, the upright was over there, and over at the Maxfield Parish, and over near the bay window, above the ferns, the canary sat in his cage. And when she sang Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, he'd always sing with her. Oh, come now, Mr. Jennings. You'll be getting yourself all fretted up. Oh, no, no. I, I assure you, Mrs. Hawkins, it's... Very important. You see, I'm going to have it again. Just as it was. Is that so? I made a list. But in a year, so many details escape one. Like those ferns, for instance. Well, I'd almost forgotten how she loved ferns. Oh, yes, and there was something over in that corner. What was it? A rocker. Her mother's old rocker. It used to squeak over a loose board whenever anybody sat in it. You mean you're going to try and find all them things again, Mr. Jennings? Yes. But you sold all them to junk dealers. You gave them away, but you scattered them every which way when you broke up your home. I've already been looking. I've collected a lot of things. This is so hard. You see, our furniture wasn't very precious to anyone but us. Well, of course you know what you're doing, Mr. Jennings. It's none of my business, I suppose. Uh, will two months' rent be enough in advance, Mrs. Hawkins? I won't be moving in for another couple of weeks, but from time to time, I, I'd like to have things delivered. Well, two months will be just dandy. 
I'll make you a special bargain price, too. Seeing you don't want no redecorating. You're sure your lady friend won't want none either, Mr. Jennings? I hardly think so. Well, I hope you'll both be very happy here. It's nice to have you back in the neighborhood. It's good to be home. What would you have done in my place? I admit it gave me a funny feeling, you know. You would think a man had more respect for the dead and heard it only less than a year than to bring a new wife plumb back to the same floor and the same furniture. And I say, what kind of a woman is she, too, to stand for that kind of nonsense? But, of course, it ain't really none of my business. Besides, two months' rent, two months' rent. I'm moving in. Moving in? I intended coming much earlier, but I had so many last-minute things to do, like picking up Dickie and... Oh, now, don't tell me that's your old canary, Mr. Jennings. Yes, which little Dickie. I found him in a pet shop on 3rd Avenue, in his old cage. <laughs> he looks pretty chipper, doesn't he? Well, I feel the one. I'd have thought he'd have died alone from this ages ago. Did all my furniture and things get here, Mrs. Hawkins? Just about. They've been delivering off and on for the last week. You sure got everything back, Mr. Jennings. Well, pretty nearly everything. A couple of rugs are missing and our old kitchen table and... Oh, so I got the piano. I bought the old upright back from the Sunday school. Well, I've been more than lucky. Uh, Miss Hawkins, you won't mind, will you, if I start moving some of it into place tonight? I'll be very quiet. Tonight? Well, it's pretty near midnight, Mr. Jennings. Yes, I know, but I'd have to work all day tomorrow and the next day. You see, there's so little time. Oh, you're expecting her soon? Very soon. Oh, well. It's got to be already before she comes. Otherwise, she won't come. You don't say, Mr. Jennings. So, if you don't mind, it'll only be for a few nights. And I won't move any of the heavy pieces after midnight. If you only knew what this means to me, Mrs. Hawkins, how I've waited for months. Is that so, Mr. Jennings? Well, I'm sure glad you found somebody to make a home for you again and... I hope she's the right girl for you and is going to make you happy. Oh, she will, all right. Of course, there are some people I know who say a man ought to wait a couple of years, but, well, I was only saying yesterday, certain men are natural-born husbands and homebodies. They need a home and a woman to look after them. Uh, yeah, yes, that's, that's true. Well, good night, Mrs. Hawkins. I'll try not to disturb you. Good night, Mr. James. Hey, he's at the office. You'll never know we come up. Yeah. Take a look around. Ain't it something? Everything fixed up down to the last knife and fork that's exactly as she had it. Don't it give me the creep? Yep, that's the same canary singing in his cage, just like it used to. And look, there's a McIntyre. Come here, in the bedroom. He's even got clothes hung up in the closet. Now, I'm asking you, Mrs. McIntyre. What do you think the second Mrs. Jennings is going to say to that? <whistles> Mrs. Jennings? Oh, hello, Mrs. Hawkins. Well, I've been beside myself with worry, Mr. Jennings. Where you've been all this time, if I may ask. Right here. Right here? Well, didn't, you hear, didn't you hear us come in? I've been to work all day, of course, but last night, a little after one. Oh, perhaps you were sleeping. Us? You mean you and... Well, yes. She's come. You mean she's been upstairs all day? Certainly. But I haven't heard a sound. Well, probably she's sleeping. She she was very tired. The trip was more exhausting than I dreamed. Well, you might have stopped by and told me on your way to work this morning, Mr. Jennings. Of course, it's none of my business, but I could have at least introduced myself to my own tenant and maybe even helped her out. Oh, it's all right. She doesn't want to see anybody just yet. Oh, no? Well, of course, I wouldn't intrude on your privacy for anything, Mr. Jennings, although I'm sure when the first Mrs. Jennings was alive, we were all friends here. Oh, no, no, it isn't that. It's only that in these first few days, 
Everything is so new and strange. She's not quite herself. Okay, Mr. Jennings. You know best, but if you should want me, you just call down the dumb waiter, and I'll be right up. Thanks, Mrs. Hawkins. Thank you. But on no account are we to be disturbed. On no account. and Don DeFore in The Furnished Floor by Lucille Fletcher. Roma Wine's presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Happier days are here again. People are entertaining more and more, inviting friends over often, enjoying friendly visits in simple, sensible ways. One such way is to serve Roma California sherry. In the words of famed hostess Elsa Maxwell, I serve my guests Roma sherry. There is nothing so friendly, so heartwarming, as delicious, glorious, golden amber Roma sherry, rich in nutty, mellow taste goodness. Serve cool. When I invite friends in, I always serve Roma sherry as first call for dinner. And Miss Maxwell might have added, Roma sherry is most enjoyable later in the evening, too. In fact, any time. Roma sherry, like all the famous Roma wines, reflects the heritage of carefully selected grapes, freshly gathered at flavorfulness from California's choicest vineyards, quickly but gently pressed, then by a process as slow as time, brought to liquid perfection by Roma's ancient winemaking skill, and bottled at Roma's famed wineries. Enjoy Roma wines regularly. They are always unvaryingly good. Remember, because of uniformly fine quality at reasonable cost, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. R-O-M-A, Roma wines. And now Roma wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage, Don DeFore and Mildred Natwick in the furnished floor. A play well calculated to keep you in suspense. Now, don't get me wrong, Mrs. McIntyre. The last thing in the world I am is a busybody, but, well, you know, I don't go out much on account of my heart, and our two floors are kind of close... Downstairs in my dining room, you can hear most everything that goes on upstairs. Now, wouldn't you have thought that it had something last night? Some talking or footsteps or dishes rattling? Well, I'm telling you, I sat there till midnight and there wasn't a thing. Nothing at all except along about half past twelve, I hear the dumb waiter come rumbling down the shaft. Well, I just stole a peek and there going by with his claws sticking up in the air. That little yellow canary. Dead. Good morning, Mrs. Hawkins. Good morning. And how's Mrs. Jennings today? Wonderful. Feeling a bit better now? Oh, yes. Of course, she's still very weak, but every day I'm sure will make her stronger. I have high hopes for her recovery. You had a doctor in to see her yet? Dr. Rubenstein, my doctor, is very good. No. I'm afraid a doctor wouldn't help her. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Mrs. Jennings! Mrs. Jennings! It's Mrs. Hawkins, the lady downstairs. I heard you were sick, and so I got a little bit of lunch for you, Mrs. Jennings. It's just a little bowl of homemade chicken broth, but it's nice and rich. You sleeping, Mrs. Jennings? Okay, then I'll just slip in quietly with my own keys, if you don't mind, and leave it right beside your bed. Well, that's funny. Oh, he must have bought a new kind of lock. He didn't say anything to me. 
so beautifully. It's nothing that can do you any harm. And we're so happy. So wonderfully happy. Oh, oh Mr. Jennings, I'll, I'll be up in about one hour with a plumber. A plumber? I'm sorry to disturb you at supper time, but there's something gone wrong with the pipes, and we think it's upstairs in your floor. You can't come in. Mrs. Jennings will be sleeping. Plumber says it's the only time he can come. Unless he comes tomorrow afternoon while you're at the office. You want to leave me your key, Mr. Jennings? No, no, I can't. Well, well, he'll have to get in there sooner or later, Mr. Jennings. The water downstairs, all black and discolored. It's all the question tonight. I'll discuss it with you in the morning. Okay, Mr. Jennings. Mrs. McIntyre, how would you feel? Your own house going to rack and ruin. You can't even do nothing about it. I ask you, what kind of a things he got up there that nobody can see? Have you just sitting here in this violent house night after night gives me the creeps. And with my heart, what's his? Well, anyway, his two months' rent's up tomorrow. And I got my mind made up. I got my mind made up. Oh, oh, good evening, Mrs. Hawkins. Well, I didn't know you for a minute standing there in the dark. Well, I didn't want to miss you this time, Mr. Jennings. No? I got your money this morning for next month, stuck under the door. Oh, yes, yes, I, I had to leave early. I hope it was all right. No, it wasn't all right. I'm sorry, but the floor's been rented, Mr. Jennings. Rented? To a young serviceman and his wife from the fort. They took it sight unseen this morning. Oh, but you can't. They're living in a crowded room on 81st Street. It's very crowded. I told them I figured you could probably get most of your stuff out in a week. A week? I never told you I was going, Mrs. Hawkins. I'm sorry, Mr. Jennings. If, if it's a matter of a little more rent, I'll be glad to pay and sign a lease, any kind of a lease you want. Not a matter of rent or a lease, Mr. Jennings. It's just... I want my floor back, that's all. But, Mrs. Hawkins, I... I like neighborly people upstairs, Mr. Jennings. I'm home a lot. I like people I can trust. I don't want no mysteries in my house. New locks on the door so no one can get in and sneakings in and out at night. Oh, Mrs. Hawkins, I, I swear to you it's all right. Perfectly all right. Oh, this business about Mrs. Jennings, never a face at the window, never a footstep on the floor or a dish rag hung out on the line. Mrs. Jennings is ill. She's not like other people. Oh, I tell you, I won't go. You've got to let me stay. Here's your rent back, Mr. Jennings. I, I haven't any place to go. This is my home. It's all I have. I staked out of everything on being here. Everything. There are other floors vacant in this neighborhood. No, no. no. It's got to be this one, this, this particular floor. Uh, Mrs. Hawkins, if I could buy the house, the whole house. Buy the house? Yes, yes, if it's for sale. Perhaps you've never thought of selling it, but I'd give you a good price. I'd scrape the money together somehow. This house ain't for sale. It happens to be my home, too, Mr. Jennings. Oh, I know, I know, but you're all alone now that Mr. Hawkins is... Oh, I mean, it's a heavy responsibility. A big house and all those stairs to keep clean and, and the repairs and all. Oh, Mrs. Hawkins, 
If you don't reconsider, I'd do anything. No, it's too much for me. I don't understand it. Why can't she see me and talk to me? Why can't she invite me in for a cup of tea and explain? Because she she can't. What's the matter with her that she can't? Is she so ugly or so beautiful or so crazy? Who who is she, anyway? Uh, I can't tell you. Okay, Mr. Jennings. Then that's that. Mr. Jennings. I can't see a thing. I'll light a candle in a moment. Mrs. Jennings prefers the dark. But you know this floor so well, Mrs. Hawkins. Come in. Oh, where are you, Mr. Jennings? Right in here, in the parlor. Sitting on the sofa. Oh, oh. that's just the wind. There's always a little draft blowing in here. Won't you sit down, Mrs. Hawkins? Uh, no, thanks. I'm only going to stay a minute, just long enough to meet Mrs. Jennings. Oh, but you've already met her. Already met her? Don't you remember? Five years ago, a rather chilly day, the rain was falling. She rang the bell to ask about the upstairs floor, and you invited her in for a cup of tea. I'm afraid you're mistaken. That was uh, the first Mrs. Jennings. That's what I mean. Oh. Oh, no, Mr. Jennings. Now do you understand, Mrs. Hawkins? Now do you know why we couldn't ever go away? We? But that couldn't... Well, the first Mrs. Jennings is... I know. You saw her coffin in this very room, didn't you, Mrs. Hawkins? You saw them take her away. I think you even followed her to that cold, dark cemetery. Well, but... That... But she couldn't stay away. She pleaded with me in my dreams to bring her back, and... I brought her back. Oh, oh no, Mr. Jennings. Don't say such things. If everything were the same as in the past, she said, we could have the past. If I furnished our old floor with the same things, she'd live here, too. Excuse me, Mr. Jennings. I'm afraid I... Oh, no, no, don't go yet. There's nothing frightening about it. Would you be afraid to look at a forsythia bush that had been asleep all winter? Or a tulip? Or a tree? I... I ain't afraid, Mr. Dennis. I only... Listen. What? You don't hear it? In the bedroom? The rocking? No. Mabel. Mabel. Don't... Don't call her. I, I, I hear it, Mr. Jennings. Oh, but she wants to meet you. 
She's always loved you so much. I, I really... I just assume... Some other time, Mr. Jennings. It's locked. It snapped shut behind you. Really, Mrs. Hawkins, don't know. She'll be in in a moment. There. There. She's coming down the hall. Now, let me out of this. Do you hear? Let me out. My heart will stand it. Oh. Oh. There she is. There. Standing in the doorway. Mrs. Hawkins. She's going to sing for you. Sing. Oh, me. This is the first night she's been able to. Do you remember the old song she used to sing of an evening? Uh, Swing low, sweet song. I don't want to hear it. Oh, please, please, Mr. Hawkins. Very sweet. You're frightened. The dead can't come back. They never want to live on this earth again. And... Go on, Mabel, oh. dearest. Don't mind. You're looking very beautiful tonight, my darling. I like that dress. Do you remember when we bought it? On our first wedding. Well, why don't they all come back then? Why couldn't my poor old daughter? Sit down, dear. There. Now it seems like old times again. The flower in your hair. The canary singing in his cage. No. No, I cannot. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. I told you. My heart. Oh, get a doctor, quick. Your voice. Your voice was always like a bird's to me. I'll never forget the first time I ever heard it. On an evening. In spring. At the Calvary Baptist Church. Oh, play, dearest. Oh, play. Go on, dearest. It's all right. Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970 or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1 and if you want to drop me a line 
say hello, make a request, a suggestion, hey, even a critique, feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. And I do have a YouTube channel, Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like the videos. It would be highly appreciated. Again, thank you all for your support. This is Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.